A reading from St. Google. <laughs> if I decorate my house perfectly with plaid bows, strings of twinkling lights, and three miles of garland, but do not show love to my family, I'm just another decorator. If I slave away in the kitchen, baking dozens of Christmas cookies, preparing gourmet meals, and arranging a beautifully adorned table at mealtime, but do not show love to my family, I'm just another cook. If I volunteer at a soup kitchen, carol at a nursing home, and give all I have to charity, but do not show love to my family, what does that profit me? If I trim the tree with shimmering angels and crystal snowflakes, attend a myriad of holiday parties and sing in the choir's cantata, but do not focus on Christ and share that love, I've missed the point. Love stops the cooking to hug the child or kiss the spouse. Love is kind even though it's hurried and tired. Love does not envy another's home that has coordinated Christmas china and table linens. Love does not yell at the kids or the family to get out of the way, but is thankful that they are there to get in the way. Love does not, do, doesn't give only to those who are able to give in return, but rejoices in giving to those who cannot. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. Video games will break. Pearl necklaces will be lost and golf clubs will rust. But giving the gift of love will endure. The word of Google to the people of Google. <laughs> Thanks be to Google. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> good morning, everybody. <laughs> oh, man, it's so good to be uh, in church with you. I'm glad you're here. Uh, it's beginning to look and even feel a little bit like Christmas today, isn't it? Uh, so exciting. If we haven't met before, my name is Johnny, and I have the pleasure of serving as the lead pastor for this worship community that meets uh, in two places, one worship community in two places, uh, and we call it the well here at First Methodist Mansfield. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad to be back. Uh, I'm so thankful for Pastor Caesar, who was here last week to share with you. Uh, so I love Pastor Caesar, love his ministry, and so thankful anytime he gets to come share with us. We're in the final stretch, folks. It's here, Christmas is upon us. You can feel it. The weather's finally figured it out. They, it knows Christmas is here now. And coincidentally, this is the last message of our series uh, that we've been in in preparation for the celebration uh, of Christmas time. We've called this series the most wonderful time of the year because we believe that this season truly is that, the most wonderful time of the year. It's, it's the lights. It's the look. It's the, the smells. It's the traditions. It's, it's the movies. It's the songs, uh, except for that Paul McCartney song, the simply having a wonderful Christmas time. I had a really hot sports opinion two weeks ago about It's a Wonderful Life, if you were here, my not understanding that movie. Uh, I'm going to pick a fight with the Beatles now, and uh, I feel, this is what I think happened. Paul McCartney was bet that he could not create a Christmas song that nobody would listen to, right? And he was like, watch this. And he just, and like spit out some words, and now we love it, right? Like, 
That's not just my opinion. That is like the worst song I've ever written. Like other people have done that song and it's like really good. But whatever that synth is that just gets really messy about halfway through this song just drives me up the wall. That's my hot sports opinions about that. Fires in the fireplace. Let's talk about that. Everybody loves a good fire in the fireplace. Uh, let's not pick that fight. We'll, we love a fire. It's cold out. Nothing warms you like the fire in the fireplace. It's the most wonderful time of the year. But Christmas isn't simply about what is happening all around us. It is definitely partly that, but it's not only that. Our circumstances can change. Many people in this room, your circumstances are different from others, uh, and, and Christmas might be more or less joyful for people here. So Christmas isn't simply about what is happening currently, but it is what has happened. It is what has happened 2,000 years ago. It's the most wonderful time of the year because Jesus, our Savior, was born this day. God's love was shown to us. God's love was proven to us. We can trust God's purposes and God's promises because of what happened 2,000 years ago. We're so excited. That. And because of that, we have hope. That's what we talked about the first week. We have hope, not just a chance, not just a gamble, not just a guess, but real hope, a firm trust in God. That's what we can have because of this. It's a fuel for our faith, an anchor for our soul. And we were reminded of that at Christmas time because sometimes we forget about that. We place our hope in other things. We find ourselves in desperate situations and, and we wonder what's next for us potentially. And it's because we forget that we have hope and a God that's above it all. It sits on the throne, a God that owns this world. That's where our hope lies. Christmas reminds us of that. And it reminds us that thanks to that hope, we can have joy in our lives, what we talked about in week two. Joy, not simply happiness that is dependent on circumstances, right? But a deep, abiding joy that comes, that transcends circumstances. A joy that comes even in seasons of hurt and pain. A deep joy because of the hope that we have in Jesus and that Jesus is with us. And, and, and likewise, we also have peace because of that hope. We can live in actual peace, not simply the absence of conflict or tension. That's not what we talk about when we talk about peace. Not everything is just smooth sailing all the time. But a peace, that it's a, it's a comfort, a deep soul comfort that comes from the assurance that God is with us. Pastor Caesar talked about that a little bit last week. If you missed it, I, I would love for you to go back and listen to it. It's a beautiful, beautiful sermon. Thankful for him sharing that. And this week, we're going to talk about Love. You've already heard us talk about that a little bit. We lit the candle. Thank you, Mullins family, for doing that. Uh, we're going to talk about love. So if you want to know what love is, the sermon will show you. <laughs> this is why I'm the preacher and not the singer, right? <laughs> Sorry about that, everybody. Stay, stick around. It gets better. If you have your Bible with you, we are going to read from actual scripture. I know some of you are worried about that. We're not just going to read from Google. Uh, I want you to turn your Bible to uh, 1 John chapter 4. Your, your bulletin says John 3.16. We already know that one. We don't need to turn there. Uh, so we're going to turn to 1 John chapter 4. It's near the end of your Bible. It can be really confusing if you're new to the Bible. There's John, as in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then there's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John near the end, much smaller versions. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, near the end of your Bible by Revelation. Uh, if you do not have a Bible with you, we have blue ones in all of our spaces. Uh, you can find 1 John 4 on 1902. Uh, we're going to read a rather large chunk of Scripture today, verses 7 through 21, but I promise you it's going to be worth it. And for what it's worth, 
This is my absolute favorite passage of Scripture. My favorite part, uh, if, if I was on a desert island, I could only take one page out of the Bible. This is the page I take uh, with me. In my opinion, in my opinion, which is somewhat professional, not fully professional yet, but it's somewhat professional opinion, this is the most profound analysis of Christian love in our Scriptures. The most profound analysis of, of Christian love in our Scriptures, surpassing even that of the very famous love chapter that you've probably read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the one I spoofed just a second ago. You probably had it read at your wedding. I know I read it at a lot of weddings. Uh, a, a magnificent chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. You know what it is. Um, it's, it's a brilliant um, uh, description of love, but I believe this one is even more profound than that. So hopefully by now you found it, uh, so you can follow along as I read uh, verses 7 through uh, 21, you might want to have a pen ready to go. There's so much good stuff to underline, highlight, note uh, in here. So you can just do that as you choose. I might highlight a few things for you. You know what? Even if you want to put like a star, like an asterisk or something right there next to verse 7 and just write this right here or something like that, like just come back to this all the time. It's so wonderful. Uh, here we go. First John chapter 4, 7 through 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and we rely on the love of God for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they, can, whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So how does one get up here and approach a subject like this, like love? that is so shop-worn, so trivialized as this. A word that is used and overused in, in culture and in church contexts, right? It's a word we use 
a lot. If you're here last week, uh, Pastor Caesar gave us a little glimpse into why this is. We have this word love that we use that means a myriad of things. We, we apply it to so many uh, situations and circumstances. And when we read scripture, especially in the New Testament that was originally written in Greek, uh, the, the Greek language had many different words that we translate in English into love, right? There was like eros, which is like erotic or romantic love. Uh, there's philia, which is like brotherly love, camaraderie, right? And, and we translate all of these things into the word love. And so we use them in all these situations, but there's no way to really differentiate these different types of love. They're all just simply love to us. But love, as attested to in Scripture here, especially right here in 1 John, is the most powerful word in the human language. And it's the greatest gift any one person can share with another. This love goes by the word agape. And it, it means sacrificial. It's the highest form of of love. It's a universal and unconditional love that transcends and serves regardless of circumstances. We're going to get to that in just a minute. So on this last Sunday before Christmas, I just want to share three, for me, foundational truths for my faith, and maybe for yours as well, that come out of this passage right here, that really are kind of the bedrock, and out of that all of my faith and my understanding of who God is and how and who I am to God and how I'm to interact with the world all grows up out of this, out of these understandings right here. So I just wanted to share those with you and, and maybe we can begin to grasp a little bit of the magnitude, the power of this word love that John shares with us here and that we celebrate at Christmas time. The first thing we notice is this, that love originates in God. Pretty simple, love originates in God. We see that all throughout this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. We see God is love written over and over and over in here. Now, we got to be careful here because love does not define God, but God defines love. Love is of God, not love is God. This is why this is important because love is not some predetermined, sort of presupposed, universal human quality that we have, that we then reference to derive our knowledge of God. In other words, like, love is not just some human thing that we know, and then we use that to understand God. Instead, anything that we know of true, self-giving, self-sacrificial love is derived from God. That's where it begins. True love comes from God. It is God who defines love, not the other way around. And I believe there's nothing more important or appropriate in our understanding of what true love is than this idea that love does not originate in us. Love originates in God, and God, and that God is the source of this one great gift that we wish to share with the world when we rely too much on our own idea of what love is and what love should be and how we should share it, and we don't allow God to be the source of that love, to be God to be the one that defines that love for us, we find ourselves in trouble in our relationships, friends, family, marriages. We find ourselves in trouble because 
our definition of love, our understanding of love, is our own human, fallible understanding, and not this eternal, sacrificial understanding that comes from God. Which brings us to the second point. Love, this powerful, world-creating love that originates in God is made known in Jesus. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. This powerful force is made known in Jesus, this tiny baby that was born in a manger. Look at verse 9 again with me. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Maybe you're more familiar with that verse, John 3.16. You've probably read it uh, as a kid, memorized it, that God so loved the world that he gave his son. This powerful love of God that God has for us is made known in Jesus. This baby whose birth we celebrate at Christmas time that came to assure us of God's presence with us, to prove God's love for us, and to lead us in that love. A physical embodiment of this amazing force that God has for us. So you want to know what love is? Love is what God has given us through Jesus so that we can know God and that we can make God known. Love is what God has given us through Jesus so that we may know God and make God known. The third thing is this. That love that originates in God, that is made known in Jesus, is the principal act of our faith. You know what I mean when I say principal, right? Not the person at your school that's going to punish you if you're not in class. Like the most important, the first, the defining act of our faith. It is the principal act of, a fa- of our faith. It is a gift that we give to one another that is made possible by the priority of God's love for us. God, loved, God has defined love by acting first. And that's what, how we define the love that we share with one another. Throughout this series, it's the most wonderful time of year, we have embraced all that Christmas is, all that this season brings. But we've also highlighted four words that we believe are real, deep, abiding gifts of Christmas that we celebrate and remember year after year. And the first is the hope that comes from Jesus. We talked about that and how hope is the fuel of our faith, right? It's because of hope we can have faith. If we didn't have hope, then what are we placing our faith in? Right? Because we have hope, we can have faith, not just an empty belief system. We have hope, so we have faith. And because we have hope, Because we have hope, when we live into that hope, we can find joy and we can find peace. But so far, those three things are internal experiences, right? The hope that we have, it's something that happens within us. It's something our soul accepts. And then it informs our disposition in life, the joy and the peace that we find. Again, all things that are internal. But that hope and the joy and the peace that we find because of it should manifest itself. You know what manifest means? Like come out, like be real in in the world in the form of love. It becomes the act of our faith. 
right? Hope is the fuel for the faith. Joy and peace are byproducts of our faith. But love is the act of our faith. It's what comes out of us. And that's what John calls us to. And what's so extraordinary about that is when John is writing this, he lives in a world full of hate and cynicism and domination. And, and especially if you were a Christian, there wasn't always like, you know, Roman Empire-wide persecution, but there was definitely localized persecutions. People looked down on Christians. They, they thought they were ignorant. They would harass them. Sometimes it would lead to persecution and martyrdom. But they weren't everybody's favorite people. And John could easily say, John's message could easily be that we're right, and so we need to show them how wrong they are and use force if necessary, right? Like, he could return that hate. But what's so astonishing about what John writes here is there's, there's none of that. It's simply that we are called to love, and that call to love is not some strategic move that John wants us to do, some strategic move that's calculated to get God to love us, right? It's not some proving thing that we do so that God will look on us in favor. This, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, does not read, for the world so loved God that he gave his only son. It says, for God so loved, God loved first. God loved before we could ever offer any sort of loving response to God. But here's what we have to notice, though. That it is true that God loved first, and that love is unearned, and that, that, is, that is just the amazing, I cannot even comprehend grace of God. And he loves me before I could even return the favor. Even when I am consciously not returning that favor, God loves me. But what John does so well through here. And what I want you to notice is how inseparable our religious experience is, our experience of God, how inseparable that experience of God is and the output of our life. They're inseparable for John. They, they are not two separate things. They are connected. The, the way we experience God and we experience the love of God and we express our love for God is inseparably connected to the output of our life. Uh, verse 7 and 8, right off the top. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Uh, verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Verse 16. There is no fear in love. Oh, sorry, that's 18. Uh, verse 16. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Verses 20 through 21. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Love is what God has given us through Jesus to know God and to make God known. But that love has got to be shown to be known, baby. It's got to be shown to be known. And God does that. God proves that through Jesus. And so we, in turn, the output of our life as we 
grow in God's love and grace is to share that with the world. You cannot have a love of God apart from an active love of others. Rather, love is a gift that we share with one another as an outpouring of the love that we receive from God. An unearned, unconditional, universal love that covers all, transcends all things that God has given to me is what refines me, it transforms my heart, and then I share that with the world. That's the making God known part. My son Charlie said this to me the other day. I have a six-year-old named Charlie, if you don't know. Kids baffle me. Do they baffle you? Parents, like, your kids, they have one moment where you're just like, what is going, is anything going on in their head? And the next minute they're like, blowing your mind. On the one hand, like, you, you pick them up from school or something, you're like, hey, well, what did you do today? And it's like you asked them to describe quantum mechanics to you. Like, it's, there's like, what? We, huh? Like, they just woke up. Like, what? What do you mean, what did we do today? What have you been doing all day? He can't brush his teeth without getting toothpaste all down the front of him. Like, but every now and again, something comes out of his mouth, and I'm just like, that's it. It's so simple and so childlike and so profound, too. And I don't know if he made it up or if he heard it from somewhere, but whatever it was, it stuck deep within him. We were in the kitchen the other day. Uh, I was in the kitchen. He was sitting at the dining room table. We have a, we have a, a cozy little house, and um, I don't know what I was doing in there. I was, I don't know. <laughs> See? <laughs> Maybe it's a guy thing. I don't know. Huh. I was in, <laughs> I don't know, I was doing something, hopefully productive. And, and Charlie was sitting at the dining room table, fiddling with something. And he turns in the chair and he looks at me and he says, Daddy, do you know how to give a gift to Jesus? Now at this point, first of all, I'm really excited. That's my first reaction. Oh, we're going to talk about Jesus. That's great. And then I, I get a little bit suspicious. Is he asking his father's professional pastoral advice? Like he wants to know, I want to give a gift to Jesus, and I need help, Dad. How do I do that? Or is he testing me? It, is his respect for me as a pastor and a father hanging in the balance of the answer to this question? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> It's tricky ground, right? And so I, do, I did what any good parent would do when faced with this sort of situation. I said, well, what do you think? <laughs> I said, well, what do you think? He said, if you do some, something nice for someone, that's giving a gift to Jesus. And I thought, dang, kid. I said, wow, son, that, that's a really great way to think about that. Thank you for sharing that with me. I'm, that's a really great way to think about that. And then he followed up. And he said, and that's a gift that we can give every day. 
It doesn't even have to be Christmas. <laughs> Love is a gift that we can give every day, even when it isn't Christmas. But that's what Christmas does. It reminds us of, of giving that gift. And hopefully inspires us to live that way again. Maybe we've never lived that way before. Maybe we did it one time, but we got busy, we got tired, and we just forgot. But Christmas reminds us of this love that seeks every moment to bless someone else. And, and, and that's really, as, as deep and profound and as, as intricate and as nuanced as we can get as, as to what it means to love another person. Right, because we know that gets a little complex and messy. I, I don't want you to hear that this is just, you know, relationships are complex. Life is messy. And, and, and learning what it means to love can get messy. But it's also this simple. It's also this simple. We, we have a tendency to overcomplicate some of the things in our, in our faith and in our life because they're hard. But really, it's as simple as that. Love is a gift you can give every day, even when it isn't Christmas. I want to close with this. The significance of Christmas, the power, the magnitude of what we celebrate at Christmas, the significance of Christmas is rooted in love. We get hope, we re, we're reminded of joy and, and peace, that those things are possible, but it is rooted in love. The extravagant, incomprehensible love of God as shown in the person of Jesus. To understand this season and the events that took place 2,000 years ago as anything else would be to miss the true heart of God and the true power of the season that we embrace with our music and our, our food and our traditions and our decorations all of this finds its home in the gift of love that God gives us, which is why I'm always, I find myself a little frustrated because I'm, I'm less interested in how Christians are trying to keep the Christ in Christmas. Right? I, 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 that just so disinterests me. What I'm more interested in is how Christmas keeps Christ in us Christians. How that works in us. How, how this love, I, I don't want to win this war on Christmas or fight any battles in that way. I'm more interested in the battle of my own heart and how it's become hardened over the years and how Christmas, when we light these candles and we speak these words and we sing the carols, how love and hope and peace and joy grab a hold of my heart and bust it open and let God's spirit in. That's what I'm more interested in. Who has a hold of my heart? Each year when Thanksgiving passes on our calendars and we look forward, our eyes turn toward Christmas, we do that to remember the profound gesture of love that gives us hope and joy and peace that God made 
a gesture that God made, the birth of a small child in a nowhere town to nowhere people in a dirty manger, insignificant by the world's standards, but was to be the savior of the world and the full embodiment of the glory of God. To show us the surprising and the surpassing love of God in a very real flesh and blood and bone way. So that we might find hope again and experience joy and peace and carry on that love in the world. Because Christmas isn't simply about remembering the birth of Jesus. It's about the possibility of Jesus being born in us again. Maybe even for the first time for some of you. You might find yourself in church because you're here visiting family or you're home from school and church isn't really your thing, God ain't really your thing. But you're being nice to your mom and dad and I commend you for that, that's good. And I'm glad you're here. This is what Christmas is really about. Maybe it's going to be born for the first time or maybe born again in each and every one of us, in our hearts. That our hearts might be the place where Jesus, our Savior, lays his head, makes his home to rest in us. For no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made perfect in us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the return of the Christmas season. A season that brings joy and excitement into our hearts and our lives. As our hearts yield to the season of Christmas, God. That yields to your spirit and the spirit of love. Let us not forget that love is the only way by which there will be peace on earth and goodwill toward all people. Help us to know how to be loving people that we might continue the work of your son, Jesus Christ, whose birth we remember and celebrate this season and every day in our lives. And it is in that precious name that we pray. Amen.